Sorry we're starting a little bit late. Uh, my radio program returned to the airways tonight, and I just wanted to hear the beginning to make sure it was there. Oh, you definitely want to hear the beginning of the big show. Yes, you do. And how'd it go? It went well. As much, uh, pretty much as I envisioned it. How, how does it feel to be back? Um, it's equal parts comforting and weird, but that's okay. I'll get over <laughs> it. it. Was it one of those things where you just sort of accepted that the ongoing history of new music was never going to come back into your life and you moved on? And then what do you know? It came back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was... Uh, done with it i i figured that it was uh it had had it uh, listen it had a really good run i mean since 1993 691 shows great nothing more to prove but uh you just can't kill the damn thing cfny it's kind of like the mafia i keep trying to get out they keep pulling me back in <laughs> you keep pulling me back in well everything's good and uh you know what this calls for a the last bottle of soju oh man it's gonna be a big show yeah here we go, here we go, here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now available in your grocer's dairy case. Ask for yours today. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Whatever you do, do not call it an iWatch. We'll look at Apple's newest toys and why the little white logo is going to be everywhere. And we'll give you a reason to keep that old iPhone now that you're lusting after the new one. The song of the summer is, uh, well, no longer decided by retail sales. YouTube hits are the new metric. Han Solo had a girlfriend before Leia. Meet Jenny from the block, the cantina block. It's floozy. Plus, a Geeks and Beats update on our meetup plans and how award shows really work. There you go. Enjoy. And now, Alan Cross. Michael Hainsworth. So, was the iWatch everything you hoped it would be? It's a bit thick. <laughs> Just a little? <laughs> Just a little bit. But, you know, I'm a kind of guy who has automatic watches. I am used to thick watches. Uh, if you have a Rolex, if you have a Baba Mercier, if you have some of these other automatic movements from Swiss manufacturers, it's... You're used to big, heavy, clunky. In fact, that's part of the cachet. However, this is an electronic watch, and um, it's 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 thick. 3.8 millimeters thick. That is almost four full centimeters. No, it's not four full centimeters. The face. I'm looking at it here. It's this 38 millimeter stainless steel case with brown modern buckle. That's got to be the diagonal of the screen. That must be the viewing space? Yeah, it has to be. Ah, Okay. But it's it's kind of cool. I, I, you know, when you have that limited amount of real estate and you have a lot of apps to get through, the user experience is going to be really, really tough to design. It's an awful lot like trying to design the uh, user interface for uh, an infotainment system in a car, except much harder and much smaller. This has only one knob as well. Well, no, no, no. It's it's got one knob and it's got one clicky button. Okay, one knob, one clicky button, and while we were hearing that this uh, sapphire glass would be flexible, it's not flexible as in it wraps around the band of the watch. It's on only the face, and it's actually pressure sensitive. Which is kind of cool for for uh, sapphire. I mean, I've never heard that being done before. We thought that the sapphire was going to be used in the in the iPhone 6, but uh, maybe they can't manufacture it in sufficient, sufficient quantities to, to, to wrap an entire iPhone in it. But, uh, you know, my, all my watches, all my fine dress watches, they all have sapphire crystals, every single one of them. 
Now, this brings us to the price point. You're accustomed to paying big bucks for expensive high-end watches. Is $350 within your budget? Yeah. For me? For you. Yeah, well, I mean, I like watches. So I have uh, I have a couple of watches worth about three grand each. Wow. Yeah. So, but again, that's jewelry. That's something completely different. And that's my only affectation when it comes to, to jewelry. Um, this is different. This is... This is a computer on your wrist. And when you start looking at it and seeing some of the things it can do, I mean, forget about the, the you know, animated emojis and some of the other new communication things that they're trying to push on you, like you can draw little fish and stuff with your fingertip. Um, this is a new category. I don't know if we can really, until we've got one and until we can start playing with one, I don't know if we can make an accurate judgment. But I, I'm sufficiently intrigued by it to spend the $350 and, and try one. I want the sport one because I do a lot of physical activity and I would like something better than my Garmin watch or my Runkeeper in my iPhone. Uh, I, I would like and something smaller. So this, this has, has possibilities. The one thing I do worry about is the battery life. Yeah, they say that you'll have to charge it pretty much every day. It's got uh, basically... A a version of the MagSafe connector. If you've got a, a MacBook, you're familiar with this. You're not going to plug in your watch to charge it. You're going to, through inductive charging, much like your wireless toothbrush, you will just lay it down on this little puck and it will charge overnight. Well, that's better than having to plug it in like I have to do with all my other electronic watches, my running watches, for example. I got some real, I got this one Garmin, which is what's really state of the art when I bought it like seven or eight years ago. And the, the, it's got this big bracket that you got to snap onto it. And it's, it's, it's garbage. Um, so when I, for when I go running, when I go to my personal trainer, when I do, you know, I'm trying to be more active, you know, it's my pedometer. It's all the, all the things that I'm, I'm hoping uh, a fitness watch will do. There are four sensors on the underside of the watch that will monitor a variety of different biometrics, including heart rate. And while I was uh, on BNN.ca's first Google Hangout covering it live, a tweet from you popped up, which led to a whole separate conversation that because it's monitoring your blood pressure as well as your heart rate, you could probably use it as a lie detector. Yes, you could. <laughs> uh, you notice that in the demonstration, you could actually somehow jack into another I oh, sorry, it's not iWatch, it's Apple Watch. That's true. That's right. So they're, 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 I think they're getting rid of the whole eye thing. I think they are. I think they are. You can jack into somebody else wearing an Apple Watch, and you can apparently feel their heartbeat through your watch to your wrist. Did you notice that? That's what they said in the, uh, in the, in the, in the presentation? Well, it's perfect for lovers. Well, that's it. Hey, where are you? Uh, with the girls having what? Yeah, where are you? Thump, 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 thump. Yeah, so I said, it can be a lie detector. As far as the iPhone 6 goes, were you at all impressed? I know that I was impressed enough to say that I am probably going to open my wallet and replace this iPhone 5 with a 6 now that it has the NFC chip for the Apple Pay service, not the iWallet. Again, as we discuss here, it's they've stopped using I for things. Mm -hmm. They're now using Apple. And here's what I think is going to happen. You'll notice it's not Apple Pay. It's little Apple Silhouette White Logo Pay. Right. Apple Silhouette White Logo Watch. I think they are abandoning the I 
for everything because everyone else is using it. And when it particularly comes to the Apple Pay, the mobile payments technology, you're going to be seeing in store windows on the door as you pull it open, a little white silhouette Apple logo that will tell you you can pay for stuff at this store using your iPhone. Very clever. Yeah, you're probably right. I like the idea of this one-time certification thing, and this is really going to, you know, eliminate cash for people who hate using cash. But over what time? This this is not an overnight thing. First of all, the Americans the, the Americans get it in October. Canada doesn't get it until the new year. Two hundred twenty thousand merchants in the United States first, from Starbucks to Target stores to McDonald's, which, as a Geeks and Beats update to the conversation we had last week with that um, ad for the job position at McDonald's for an e-commerce app guy. Now we know what that's all about. Yeah, that's true. I Again, I'm willing to take a flyer on it. I'm not going to go for a gold one this time. I'm going to go for uh, the space gray. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to order one next Friday. I think I'm going to go for the white one. Yeah, okay. I, uh, I, what, I disparage the what? white one. Uh, it's going to be the 4.7 inch, not the 5.5. Because that would be two-handed for a little guy like me. Yeah, you know, I looked at it. I was in, in, a, in a limo coming home from the airport today, and a guy had a Samsung that I think was, was 5.5, and it, it just looked so big and like a brick sitting on his, on his dashboard. So I'm probably going to go for the 4.7, and I'll go for the 128 gigs, because uh, I will fill it up. Oh, my God. Did you see the price on the 6 Plus with the 128 gigs? iPhone 6 comes in gold, silver, or space gray and will be available in Canada for suggested retail price of 649 Canadian dollars for the 16 gig model, 749 for the 64 gig model, and for the first time a new 128 gig model for $849. The iPhone 6 Plus comes in gold, silver, or space gray, will be made available in Canada for suggested retail price of 749 for this Ooh, that's too much. Isn't that outrageous? Yeah, 749 for the 16 gig. 849 for the 64 and 949 for the new 128 gig uh, model. So that is unlocked. That is no contract. Yeah, that's unlocked. No contract. That's still outrageous. And, and most of us are going to be under a contract anyway. Not me. I have. I refuse to sign a new contract. Okay, but then you're not getting the subsidy, and you're having to deal with this every single time you want to buy a, a new unit. Yeah, but then I can buy a new unit whenever I want. True. If you if you got a grand lying around, well, no, I you know if, if I if listen if I if I lose the phone if I drop the phone, I mean it's it's you know I'm free. And look at this is what I do for a living. The combination of the Apple Watch and the iPhone six—that's what's interesting to me. You could have this uh, two-step authentication, whereby if your phone and your watch are far apart from each other, then the phone's going to assume that somebody else is trying to use your phone or somebody else has stolen it. So it will lock and it won't work. Wouldn't it be neat though if the watch itself was talking to your car? That's in, that's the next step with CarPlay. That, that's that's coming you, exactly. You don't need to fumble with your keys. You just need to lift the latch of the door, sit in the car, pull away. That's that's again. Uh, some of the newer auto cars have have keyless entry, and and all you have to do is have the fob in your pocket as you approach the car. The car unlocks, and then you leave the key in your pocket. You hit the start button, and you go. I mean, this could replace that exactly. Takes it to the next step. Same thing with the front door lock. All of this kind of stuff. I don't know that I really want to spend the money on a watch at this point. You're right. It's the thirty eight millimeter is the height of the small one so that's the dainty girly one that i would wear yeah. versus the 42 millimeter which is for big guys with long arms like you hmm. yeah the gorilla 
people. But at the end of the day, you're talking, say, 700 bucks for the phone, 350 for the for the uh, Apple Watch. That's a big chunk of change to ask the public at large. Well, to spend. Uh, don't forget that the I uh, sorry, the Apple Watch isn't going to come out until after Christmas. So you can spend your Christmas money on it. All right. And don't think for a second that that uh, didn't figure into their their marketing plans. By the way, we were right, or more accurately, you were right. How about you too? Yes. I was, okay, I'll take... You were right, then you were wrong, and then you were right again. Yeah, I'm going to take half the credit for it. Uh, I thought that they were going to perform in that big building outside. They did not. They instead performed on the stage, and they performed one song called uh, The Miracle for Joey Ramone, which is going to be on this, which is on this new album, uh, Songs of Innocence, which they then, instead of... Okay, we need to talk about this. You 2 released this brand new album to everybody on the planet with an iTunes account from some 500 million people. Tim Cook pressed a button and all of a sudden they, this album went out to everybody's iTunes account. This is the biggest album release in the history of mankind. And it opens up an awful lot of discussion points. Where would you like to start with that? I suppose the fact that they're giving it away for free. They're giving it away for free. But who had to be compensated in the food chain for this to happen? Well, of course, this would be the record label, wouldn't it? The, the record label would have to be compensated. Um, a whole bunch of other people would have to, you know, the negotiations in this would, ha would, would have been very, very interesting. For example, you 2 did not necessarily give this away for free and not realize anything themselves. What are they getting in return? Okay, two things. Apple would have had to pay them something, a, you know, ridiculously big, or, well, a ridiculous... They would have to subsidize the album in some way. So, you know, hey, you two, we're giving you $3 million. We're going to use our massive distribution system to release this album to the people. So it's a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. Um, but we need to compensate you because you will have to compensate other people down the, the, the line for the fact that you're not, you know, going through the usual channels releasing a record. At the end of the day... Is it you two that wins more so than Apple or the other way around? I, you know, I'm going to have to write something about this. And as I write, I think it'll all come to me. Are you happy with the album? Does do I haven't heard it yet. <gasps> uh, as, as we record this, I haven't heard because uh, this was this happened just as I was about to leave uh, an office in Manhattan and catch a cab. And there was no way that I was going to download the, uh, the, <laughs> the album roaming. using a <laughs> roaming charger. So forget it. So um, I got off the plane. I had something to eat here at home, and I'm talking to you. So I haven't had an opportunity. But, okay, a couple of things. Let's just go through this. What does this mean for the future of the CD? Well, it's pretty much done. Uh, what does this mean with, uh, you know, it's all about the relationships that uh, come with the Beats purchase. I mean, Jimmy Iovine, he was U2's guy in America. Actually, he was U2's guy for the world. So you think with Jimmy on board that he was able to twist some arms and cut through some of the crap to make it happen? Absolutely. What does this mean for things like... Uh, for people like, let's say, Amazon or Google Music, uh, Play Music, I mean, this is a, an exclusive release, which Apple, which has um, a, a tremendous amount of, of, of marketing value. If I'm Jeff Bezos, if I'm the guys at at uh, at Google, I'm screaming mad because you know the biggest band in the world has released an album exclusively through my competitor. 
And I can't get a hold of this until October the third, October the fourteenth. Um, so does this open the gates for um, potential antitrust issues? If it does, it'll come from the EU. But I can see there being a problem there. What does this say to uh, record stores that still need to stock records? Where's the physical product for this? Uh, and and that creates a relationship issue between Universal, their record label, and their retail partners. You know what happens there? You know this it, it gets it's a very complicated thing. It's not just as simple as YouTube recording a bunch of songs, sending the digital files over to Apple and say here. Let's go. So now that you've run out to get yourself a, a new iPhone six, what are you going to do with the old one? Uh, that gets uh, that gets gifted down to my my wife who has a four S. Okay, so then the thing becomes, what do you do with the four S? Aha. Well, you know there was there's a really good reseller called Gazelle in the U S. They unfortunately they don't take anything from Canada. I'm looking for a good reseller of gadgets because I have drawers full of stuff. And if, if somebody would take these things off my hand for a price, uh, I, w- I would happily give them up. The thing is, is you can, in fact, use your old device to keep your home secure. Have you seen this? No, I haven't seen this. This isn't their, their, their home kit thing, is there? No, this is uh, using if, then, else, and an old iOS device, like a, an old iPhone 4 or a, or a touch, what have you. Uh, is it, what, was, what was that... Uh, um, automation system you had, the something 10. Yeah, no, X10 is the old stuff. I'm using Insteon now, which is sort of the, the next generation. This is using a, a service called ManyThing, which is a cloud-based video monitoring service. So you use your old iOS device as a security camera around the home, and because they're now tied into um, what you would read as IFTTT, which it means if, then... Then, then this. Exactly. Yeah. Which is this Internet of Things site which is connected to all sorts of different disparate internet devices and then you trigger different things based upon other things so for example uh, i've got that net atmo weather station and i've got it set up so that if it starts to rain it sends me an alert to tell me to bring the cushions in from the deck furniture you're kidding kid you not all right so this is a similar sort of thing. So using ManyThing with the cloud-based video monitoring and IFTTT, you can, in fact, uh, get m- a, basically a security system out of that old phone. So do I have to... I'm looking at the website here. Do I have to mount it on this little tripod thingy? You can put it wherever you want because what it does is you specify where the motion sensor areas of the image is, are. So you would set it up around the door but nowhere else because you don't want the cat to trigger it accidentally. I don't have a cat. Well, you've got two dogs, and I'm sure they roam around a little bit. Doesn't come for free, although there is a free option that supports just monitoring one monitoring device. That's fine. Yeah. Three 30-day trial, continuous cloud recording. At the end of the trial, the free plan provides 12 hours continuous recording for five quid a month. So you could just plug your, your iPhone, your old iPhone, into the wall outlet, stick it in the kitchen, and if anybody goes in when you don't expect them to, and that's the other thing about the if-then-this-that-else kind of idea, you can specify only between certain times. Yeah, I, uh, I'm waiting for the, the, the Apple HomeKit thing. I've, I've already got a security system. I don't have a... Actually, you know, a guy from Rogers Home Security has come to see me on Friday. Any particular reason? I just have an old ADT, uh, ADT system that's been around for about 10 years and it's time to upgrade. So I thought I'd have a, do some shopping. And my home security system contract ends at the end of September. So this is the time of year where I can 
uh, decide whether or not to switch companies. We've got the alarm for central station monitoring our house. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that work? Um, it works out okay, except that the little microphone for when you accidentally trigger the alarm and you have to talk to them and let them know, don't call the cops, mm-hmm. uh, is in the closet. So you have to open the closet and talk into the closet. (laughs) When you think fashion, you think geeks and beats. Fresh from the runways of Milan and Paris, it's the G&B Fall Jacket. Great for early morning runs or standing in line at Starbucks on your phone. Show your support for the big show with the only fall jacket you'll ever need. Go to geeksandbeats.com slash swag today. You've got the uh, song of the summer named. I don't know when this idea of coming up with a song that will be forever associated with the summer of a given year uh, when this began. But uh, it's been a thing for the last four or five years for sure. And um, I guess the way you look at it now is what song reached the highest chart position, which song had the most streams, which song had the most um, YouTube views, which song had the most downloads, uh, and a few other things. So you add it all up, and this is absolutely no surprise whatsoever. It is Fancy from Iggy Azalea. She has a giant can. Pardon? She's part of the uh, the big buttock women movement. Oh, I see. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not. That's not a judgment call. That's not anything. She just makes like Nicki Minaj. She makes a big deal of the size of her uh, keister. First things first. I'm a white chick. Wait, what? The whole world was confused when they learned this. She's not black. And I sound just like Nicki Minaj. If she swallowed down testosterone pills mixed with hot sauce. True. If you wanna get rap famous, <laughs> act dirty south and say hand like this. <laughs> Parody your movie like Clueless. Hand dance, shake your abnormally large for white. Your hips. You a fake Nicky Hook, got him style back. You look like when Safadi had sex with Riff Raff. You be tripping, got that hood swag. You're from Australia, stop acting black. No one knows me. Just some random chick they found on the street. To sing this obnoxious chorus, my name's Charlie. No, I am not Lord, we just look the same. I'm a huge fan of royals. I am not bored. I said, make up music there based on the film Coolidge. It's the most time I've spent in school. The truth is, I am half retarded. High school, I departed. That's why my teens are ignorant and racist garbage. Asian fix your weird eyes. My skin's are dirty and white. And I swear I meant that there's so much, I'm gonna tweet two more times. If you don't speak English, you shit. Other people get arrested. Speaking of which, I look like Marlon Wayne's from the flick white chips. Now tell me who that, who that. That is half and half. From the waist up, I'm white. From the S down, I'm black. I be that ICCY voted with the I can't spell because my IQ is negative 10. And Nicki Minaj was on that top Google search list uh, for the summer of 2014 as well. Uh, it goes like this. Iggy Azalea, Nicki Minaj, Selena Gomez. Um, and I think people were looking for Selena Gomez not because she had a, any, you know, hot song out. Not that I can remember anyway. But but because of her association with Justin Bieber and everything that's going on with her, him. Then we have Beyonce, Rihanna, Taylor Swift, Chris Brown, Katy Perry, Luke Bryan, Lil Wayne. What I find rather interesting is if you scroll down to one of the bottom lists, uh, we have, these are the most streamed songs on YouTube. Okay, so YouTube is the biggest source of music discovery on the web. If you want to know a song, if you want to see a song, hear a song, you go to YouTube first. That's just the way it is. Iggy Azalea was number one. Jason Derulo with Wiggle was number two. 
Ariana Grande Problem was number three. Uh, the Toronto band Magic with Rude was number four, which was kind of interesting since the song the song was actually released back in September but didn't become a hit until uh, later, well, this year. But number five, number five on the list of the most streamed songs on YouTube was Gangnam Style by Psy. Still. Still. I thought that was last year. Yes, it was last year. Or was it the year before? Whatever. Uh, it is still popular enough to become the, uh, the fifth most streamed song on all of YouTube. Let's just uh, check here. How many views is uh, the... The Gangnam Style gotten? Yeah. I'll race you. Two billion eighty million six hundred sixty thousand and ninety four. Two billion views. Two billion. It's it slowed down quite a bit because it was really racing towards that two billion mark. Once it broke the two billion mark, it kind of slowed down. But it slowed down as in it's only had eighty million views since. Wow. And it was first it was first published on YouTube on July fifteenth, twenty twelve. So that's two years. But after Gangnam Style, how where does it go? What, what's his next most popular video? Uh... Gentlemen with seven hundred and thirty million views. So he, he went from two billion to seven hundred thirty million. Yeah, oh, it's a failure. <laughs> yeah, a failure at only 730 million. Yeah, that's the one with Snoop Dogg, yeah. 730. Snoop Dogg does, does really well with the uh, the kids on the street. And apparently, according to this uh, d- report here, he's also uh, got a, a track on the top 10 for the summer as well. Uh, who? Snoop Dogg. Yeah, Snoop Dogg. He was with uh, Wiggle with uh, Jason Derulo. Mm-hmm. He was there too, so. You know who's not on that list? Justin Bieber. And Gene Simmons. <laughs> yeah, Gene. Uh, oh man. Oh, hang on. I got. I got side dancing in front of my face. Here, let me just close this browser because it's really annoying. Oh, there's a girl on a treadmill. That. Oh, she just fell. Okay. Sorry, we don't need to do that. Uh, so let's move on to. Uh, yeah, Gene Simmons is talking about rock being dead, and we can go into this for quite some time. Do we have to? Well, we don't have to, but you know, every once in a while. Somebody declares that rock and roll has died and that it should just lie down and allow itself to be buried. And Gene is the latest person to say this. And his big thing is that rock and roll has died and it's been killed, murdered, he says, by piracy. And as a result of piracy, nobody wants to get into rock and roll anymore. Well, I I think he's actually kind of got it wrong because he's looking at the business model of rock and roll and not the musical movement that is rock and roll. So um, I haven't noticed much of a decline in the number of kids wanting to pick up a guitar and rock out. In fact, it's probably more than than ever before. Uh, it's just that you're not going to get as rich as Gene Simmons anymore because of certain changes in the marketplace. So, Isn't there a certain element of, of wanting the fame and the fortune to go along with the picking guitar? Yeah. You, the, you don't just get into it because you like rock and roll. Sure you want you, to be the next Gene Simmons. No, not necessarily. You know, if you're a musician, there's something inside of you that demands that you make music. And if you end up making money from it, well, that's fantastic. But it shouldn't be the reason you get into rock and roll. You should be getting into rock and roll because you love the music. You love to perform. You love to 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 uh, play your instruments. You love to that 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 communion that comes with uh, uh, an audience on on off the stage on a, on a great night. 
So no, it's like uh, it's like when I went into uh, radio school, and you got kids who went to the school not because they wanted to be on the radio and they they wanted to to share with the world uh, the news of the day or a musical tidbit. They wanted to be on the radio so they could work at Q one oh seven. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then so they could so they could pick their own music. And, Which uh, no one ever does in the business anymore. <laughs> that hasn't happened in 30 years. Uh, so you can pick your own music, and so you can play good music rather than all the corporate crap that's out there. So The only three guys of my graduating class still in the business, me, Barry Davis at The Score, and George Strombolopoulos. Oh, see there. <laughs> okay. The rest all wanted to work at Q. Oh, that's fine. And, and and where are they now? Exactly. They're landing planes at the airport. Uh, well, it's not a bad job. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Really? One of them actually is. Oh, he's an air traffic controller? No, no. He's the guy with the light cones on the ground in the tarmac. Oh. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Well, I could make a cap or a brooch or a pterodactyl. Um, I uh, I used to work for an air traffic controller. I had a, my very first job was at a ice cream stand called Frosties, and it was owned by a, two couples. And one of them, Ed Barnes, was an air traffic controller. And sometimes it would be his job to come and look after the ice cream stand right after his shift at Winnipeg International. <laughs> and I bet he just whipped through a line of people waiting for their ice cream. You know, he really, really organized the people at the counter very, very well. <laughs> but he was he was very, very... When he came directly from his shift, he was wrapped pretty tight. Oh, I bet. So I'd say, uh, Ed, I need two cheeseburgers. Affirmative. <laughs> <laughs> and, and every once in a while, he would just snap. So if he couldn't make the swirl in the soft ice cream cone quite right... He would freak out and throw it across the room. Oh, man. Yeah. So when, when you got Ed, you really weren't sure what you were going to get. Nice man, but occasionally the air traffic control stress would, would show through. When we bring people through uh, the BNN newsroom for a tour and I show them the control room, I describe it laid out much like an air traffic control tower. And I learned this actually from watching the movie Pushing Tin. Yeah, that was a really good shot in Toronto. It was an excellent film. And uh, what I learned through that and through some additional reading as well is that in the air traffic control tower world, they pass responsibility of the plane as it gets closer and closer to landing to the guy to their right. And so by the time you get from one end of the tower to the other, the plane has landed. And it's similar in a control room. From the left, it starts off with the guy with the robo cameras because there's nobody behind an actual camera anymore. He lets the guy to his right know that the cameras are okay and that the remote guest is fine. And that guy tells the assistant director who's keeping on top of the timing of what's currently happening and what's going to happen next, who then tells the director that everything's okay and, and what's coming up next. And the director tells the guy who actually pushes the buttons to put it on the air. Okay. Makes sense. You need that chain of command, right? Absolutely. And everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody knows what their responsibilities are. And uh, one of the, the biggest problems you can have in a control room environment is trying to pick up a ball that you've dropped. Because as you're juggling all these other balls in the air, you just end up dropping the other balls trying to pick up the other ones. Yes. To, to mix the metaphor with the airlines. <laughs> Except nobody really dies. I mean, not in a, in a perhaps in a metaphorical sense, but not in, a, uh, in an actual sense. I have died on more than one occasion on network television, I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, see, that's one of the things I don't like about TV. Radio, you're more or less responsible for your own mistakes. Exactly. And if something does go wrong, it's usually equipment failure, and that is beyond your control. However, when you're on a set for television or for a movie, 
uh, you're at the mercy of somebody else's incompetence. Or your own. Everybody else could be doing everything right, and you're the one guy who screws it all up for everybody. Well, that's yeah, and that's true, too. But then that's your fault, and you got nothing to complain about. Jimmy Chamberlain. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by this. Jimmy Chamberlain, uh, Smashing Pumpkins drummer. Band has never been the same without him. Um, he went through a really rough time in 1996. Um, he had a terrible heroin problem. And he was with uh, a touring keyboardist named Jonathan Melvoin of the, uh, with the Smashing Pumpkins uh, that summer. And, and Melvoin overdosed and died. And that led to, to him being um, fired from the Smashing Pumpkins. There was a reconciliation later, but um, that was pretty much the end of the glory days of the Smashing Pumpkins. He now has gotten out of music. Uh, this guy's been a jazz drummer since um, sometime in his teens and then a rock drummer for almost his entire adult life. But he's now a tech entrepreneur. He's uh, using he's the CEO of a company called Live One. It's based out of Chicago. It's working on a product called Crowd Surfing. Mm-hmm. And his goal is to make it possible for fans to interact with each other while everybody watches live streams of concert events. That is apparently, it has been a holy grail for a lot of people who want to bring an added dimension of music to the internet. Uh, this idea of streaming live concerts from clubs, from stadiums, from arenas, whatever, and then having the fans assemble around their devices and interact as if they were at the show itself. Oh, so this isn't designed for the people who are actually at the show. No, no, this is for people to to interact with while everybody watches live streams of concert events. And so far, they've they've done well. Um, clients include Yahoo, uh, Budweiser's done some stuff with them, Red Bull, who's got more money than God. Toronto Maple Leafs, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm on the Live One Group website now. Oh, interesting. So he seems to be doing rather well. And it's uh, I had no idea that uh, the Jimmy was such a tech guy. Yeah, I'm looking at the site here. That's a yeah, where the world watches together. So they do. Oh, see, they want to do movies. They want to do video games. They want to do sports. Uh, they want to do concerts. Yeah, Toronto Maple Leafs. Interesting. Which brings us to the Where Are They Now? The best music story you've uh, found all month. Yeah, I've, I've, I know. I knew about this one for quite some time because I am a, a Porsche file. Now you do pronounce it Porsche. It is Porsche. It's German. Do it. It's not Porsche. It's Porsche. Trust me. Are you like those BMW types who get upset when other people call it a, a, a Beamer? Because BMW types apparently prefer it Bimmer. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not that. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that anal retentive about no, it. No, no, I mean, BMW is a sworn enemy of, of, of Porsche. So BMW is a sworn enemy of everyone else on the road. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry, Mr. BMW driver. Let me let you in without your turn signal. After all, you paid so much for your car, you deserve to own the road. Have you ever noticed that when you're driving, that the more expensive the car, the bigger the d- behind the wheel? How does that explain you? Uh, what? Because I'm an exception. Oh, okay. It, it, and are you leasing it or something? You didn't actually buy it? Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> so you've got an out. Yeah. So so BMW guys are, are bad. S-Series Mercedes guys are bad. And uh, I think Audi A4 guys are the worst. Okay. But how does that explain how the A4 guys are the worst, but the A5 guys aren't? I I, I don't know. I, I can't. It's nouveau riche money versus uh, old money. A lot of guys driving S4s are like, are just, you know, I just don't like them. <laughs> okay. Where, where were we on this? We were on the, the best, me- where are they now, music story. Oh, yeah. Right. So uh, uh, Porsche file. Okay. Porsche 911 has been around since 1963. 
and it has undergone innumerable iterations in that time. And uh, something like 75% of all 9-11s ever manufactured are still on the road. It's, it's an incredible statistic. Really? Oh, yeah. It's, 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 this is a car that is, is, you know, puts classic in classic. And a lot of people, um, see, back in the 90s, Porsche went from the air-cooled engine to a water-cooled, a liquid-cooled engine. And but there are still people who really love the old school air cooled Porsches. But, you know, of course, they've seen better days and uh, they need to be, you know, maintained. In some cases, they need to be rebuilt. And uh, in some cases, they need to be modified. If, uh, for example, you know, um, it's in California and you need uh, certain emissions and requirements and all that sort of stuff. So there is uh, a number of aftermarket Porsche called restorers or. Um, companies that will will take your 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 old Porsche and bring it up to, up to date or make it like brand new, and one of the big ones is called Singer Singer Porsche, and they're based out of California. And uh, I'd, I'd never made the connection until somebody pointed out that uh, pointed out the name Singer, and I thought, well, I just thought you know Singer sewing machines or something like that. Has nothing mm-hmm. to do with actual um, with music, but if you are uh, a child of the '90s and you were into um, alt rock in the early part of the early part of the '80s, early part of the '90s, and you remember a band called the Catherine Wheel, who did songs like "I Want to Touch You" and uh, "Black Metallic." Very good band, um, but didn't really get the kind of attention they deserved, except in places like New York, Toronto, and San Francisco. And the singer of the Catherine Wheel, very nice guy, met him many times, named Rob Dickinson, second uh, cousin of Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden, by the way. Really? Yes. The Bruce Dickinson? Babies, before we're done here, y'all be wearing gold-plated diapers. What does that mean? Never question Bruce Dickinson. Roll it. So this is Rob Dickinson. And uh, the Catherine Wheel broke up in 2000. And then Rob went on to do some recording with some other people. He released an album in 2005. Didn't really go anywhere. Uh, and then he just dropped off the map. Well, it turns out that he turned his passion for old Porsches into a second career. So... The singer in Singer Porsches is Rob Dickinson of the Catherine Wheel. And he recently had a profile on him in the Wall Street Journal. I thought that was really cool. That was very Paul Harvey of you. Yes, it was. (laughs) Very good Paul Harvey story. Very good. And a very good where are they now story in and to itself. Yeah, and I always like, I I, I love these, these where are they now after rock is over stories. And that's, uh, that's one of the best ones I've heard of. Good for you, Rob. And I hope you enjoy Porsches for many years to come. You ready for Ask Alan anything? Let's go. Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. Uh, hi there. My name is Annie. I'm calling from Grand Prairie, Alberta. And I have a question. Um, I'm not sure it's an appropriate one, but I thought uh, Alan would be the guy who would know the answer. I'm wondering how award shows work. If I'm a band and I win an award 
uh, is that like something that was figured out by a record company? Did I legitimately win the award because I'm that well-loved or that talented? How does that work? Uh, I just have no idea, and I'd really like to know the answer. I super, uh, super dig the podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye. Now, the way it usually works is that uh, an awards program is staged by a third party, whether it be, let's say, Much Music, MTV. Uh, in the case of uh, the Junos, it's um, SOCAN and Keras. Actually, sorry, it's it's uh, Keras, the Canadian Association of Recording Arts and Sciences. Yeah, the Grammy Awards are by uh, from the... Um, uh, American Association for Recording Arts and Science, Sciences. So you have these these these, these companies that create these events, and uh, they have members and they record labels and everybody associated with these acts submit nominations, and those nominations are then voted upon by the membership of the organization behind the awards program, and there's usually several uh, different. Um, stages of voting you know with the junos for example there's there's two with the polaris music prize there's three so um at that point they bring it down to nominees and the nominees are announced to the public as for who wins well that's the final round of voting and uh you know if you're nominated your record company is going to make damn sure that you're there just in case you do win which i, I think maybe is the underpinning to annie's question do, do does the winning band get a little phone call in advance saying hey trust us you're going to want to be there tonight i think that probably happens in the case of artists who are reticent about going to the event because remember that these events are primarily TV shows or something that sucks in the general public, right? Mm -hmm. And it is always in their best interests for them to have as many of the nominees show up as possible. And there's nothing like a, you know, the, the most horrible thing that can happen for any award show is to have all your awards go to somebody who didn't think the awards were important enough to attend. Exactly. So I think, you know, there's a, there, in some cases, there are probably some nudge, nudge, wink, winks, but there's uh, unless there is, you know, a really good reason why an artist can't be there. You know, somebody died. Um, they happen to be on tour on the far side of the planet, that kind of thing. There are artists that are advised ahead of time because you see the the video acceptances. Mm -hmm. Those those are those are taped uh, in advance. If you've got a question for Ask Alan anything, call three two three three nineteen nerd. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. So we're bringing the Geeks and the Beats to the downtown uh, Toronto Record Show again. Yeah, we've, we've talked to Akeem, uh, who is one of the organizers, and uh, we're, we're going to do that. Yeah, we, I was really shocked when we did it last year. And all these people showed up. Uh, who say they listen to the show. It's going to be Sunday, November 2nd at 11 a.m. is when the door is open at 958 Broadview Avenue, uh, just on the other side of the Don Valley Parkway in downtown Toronto at the Estonian Center. Are you going to bring the cabbage rolls or the coffee? Yeah, they never have any food there except donuts at the door. Excellent. There is a $5 admission at the door, we have to warn you. Yeah, but it's worth it because uh, they're going to open the second room this year. They're opening up a second room. They're giving us uh, part of that room so that we don't have to worry about the music they're playing interfering with the uh, broadcasting rights. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, hadn't thought of that last year, had we? No. Could have no, got our because... butt suit off. We've got an HR guy now. Uh, Darren Simonelli is our HR representative. We've got uh, writers. What we don't have is a lawyer. I think the show should have a lawyer. Well, this is true. Perhaps on retainer. We, shouldn't, we need a legal department. You're absolutely right. So while the doors open at 11 a.m., we'll be doing the show live to air at 12 noon Eastern time, so you can watch how the sausages are made. Yeah, we, it's, it's about as appealing as sausages, too. But, you know, we're, we <laughs> listen, we welcome people to come. And we'll make it the, I guess we'll make this one a little bit longer yeah. than, uh, than, than the usual podcast. Maybe. Um, and then I've got this new radio program called uh, Adventures in Vinyl that will be starting on the 22nd of September that uh, I'm going to have to talk to Akeem about how we can fold that in somehow, too. You had a, an Ask Alan Anything question. Guess what? I got a question, too. Oh, what? Uh, this is uh, from Brad from Omimi asking, Why did Obi-Wan Kenobi use a Jedi mind trick on the Stormtroopers and not on Han Solo to get a better price for his Millennium Falcon trip to Alderaan? Just convince him it's in his best interest to give him a ride for nothing. It just makes no sense. I'll tell you, the strangest things in the world keep you up. Anyway, just wondering if you guys have anything to add to that. Take care. Bye now. You see, these are the kinds of questions that I avoid. <laughs> I don't give a damn, but you go ahead. Okay, Mr. Star Trek, where you would have the prime directive that Captain Kirk violated every single time he came across a hot green alien. Every once in a while, yeah, okay, maybe. Obi-Wan would not have used a mind trick on someone like Han Solo because Han Solo was not inherently evil, whereas we knew that the stormtroopers were not up to any good whatsoever across the galaxy, and therefore it would have been against the, the Jedi code to use a mind trick against someone who didn't deserve it just for your own personal gain. Oh, I see. So this is, uh, it's the morality and the ethics of Obi-Wan Ben Kenobi. Right. And the other thing, too, is that it would, might be easy for a Jedi to look at someone like Han Solo and realize that he does not have a weak mind. You needed to, to have a weak mind for the Jedi mind trick to work, which is why it didn't work on Jabba the Hutt. Oh, because he had a strong mind. Exactly. Luke Skywalker tried to use it against him to free Han Solo at one point. That did not happen. But... Ho, 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 ho. Exactly. Yahoo.com has a neat little article Gwyn Watkins has written for Yahoo Movies. Did you know that Han Solo originally had a girlfriend in the movie? Was that cut out? It was completely cut out. From the 1998 CD-ROM Star Wars Behind the Magic, they discovered a black and white rough cut of the cantina scene. Okay. And as Obi-Wan and Luke go up to where Han Solo is hanging out with Chewbacca... There is a woman with him. He refers to this mystery lady as sweetheart, and she gets up and, and leaves as the two arrive so that they can have some serious man-to-man -man talk. Apparently, her name's Jenny. Really? The actress who played her was Jenny Cresswell. See, I'm surprised that in all the messing about George Lucas did with the original series, that he didn't put that back in. Well, that might have complicated things, particularly between Han and Leia, don't you think? Yeah, well, listen, you know, George Lucas will never be forgiven for messing around with the original series. Oh, so the truth comes out. You do have some emotion for this Star Wars of which you speak. No, none at all. Let the hate flow through you. Oh, yeah, fine, fine. And all the Star Wars people can send me hate mail. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't care. Oh, we're making you stronger. <laughs> yeah. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. 
To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.